0: You're listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, with the show where we want to talk about everything. I certainly do. I want to talk about everything, and my name is Garrett Ashley Mullet. Today is Thursday, August 4th, 2022, and this is episode 445, and today we're going to talk about how to defend against the ongoing push for global communism. Some of you will think, man, it's about time. I've really been wondering, what are we going to do about the global communists? Others of you might be thinking, there's nothing that can be done about it. We can't help it. Just let it go. Just accept that this is what it is and (laughs) trust the good Lord and wait until we get raptured out of here. But for my part, I don't believe that that is Uh, in the latter case, a correct way to respond. Also, too, for anybody who might be in a third category where they would say, what are you talking about? Global communism, that's not a thing. That is gone. The USSR collapsed and fell. We don't need to worry about it. Look, we've got China. They're communist. We're not communist. If we were communist, surely they would (laughs) love us, right? Just like Stalin and Mao always loved one another. Uh, wait. <clears throat> now here's the simple truth of it: Communism is alive and well. Yes, the Chinese Communist Party is a example of communism on uh, a large scale in our day. Yes, the USSR collapsed, but the ideas of the USSR are still alive and well. Even just the situation in Ukraine, I think, proves that the USSR is alive and well, at least in the heart of Vladimir Putin. He thinks the worst thing that happened in the 20th century was that the USSR collapsed. And whatever you want to call his attempt to reclaim lands that were formerly part of the Soviet Union, whatever you want to call, whatever that body of land that uh, political organization will be, it's really no difference. The big idea is essentially communism. And yes, there are varying degrees of government control depending on how pragmatic and how realistic and how responsive a particular authoritarian regime feels like being or how vulnerable they're feeling based on the repercussions of excessive central planning. But at the end of the day, we definitely do not only have communists in China and Russia still. We definitely have communists here, and we definitely have communists around the world. And I would say we definitely have communists in the overarching umbrella government and oversight institutions in the world. And if you look at the situation in Holland, for instance, these efforts to combat climate change really amount to a push for global communism. What else do you call it when the government says, we are going to slash our food output by taking control of and commandeering private farms and telling these farmers that they cannot grow crops, or in the case of Sri Lanka, they cannot use chemical fertilizers to grow crops. That happened, by the way, and then food output, lo and behold, dropped by as much as food output has been increased by the use of chemical fertilizers. Between 30 and 40% of fruits and grains and teas stopped being produced and brought to market, which then means you've got hungry Sri Lankans. And here in the US, I just did an episode a couple of days ago about the Colorado River project and the Mississippi River. And one article in the Denver Post talks casually about us needing to conserve water. And the biggest source of uh, water consumption is farming and agriculture, and the raising of livestock, well, what do you think that means? When you cut your consumption of water in agriculture, you're going to also cut the output of agriculture. And so we're being conditioned to expect less food being produced here in the US. Now, five years ago, I wrote an open letter to Montana and North Dakota legislators, asking them, imploring them, To intervene on behalf of the farmers along the Yellowstone River, many of whom I knew personally in the Savage area. And what was at stake was those farmers being able to irrigate their crops. Their whole farming paradigm is predicated on being able to get water out of the Yellowstone River. But environmentalist groups were very upset because maybe, possibly, we just don't know how, but possibly. The pallid sturgeon, this endangered fish, is going to not be able to reproduce and breed if this project continues on being supported, this irrigation project continues on being supported. Never mind that the pallid sturgeon has been just fine and you've got little to no evidence to support your speculation. And we definitely know what will happen to the farmers in the region if you take away their supply of water. Never mind all that the big thing is we've got to save this fish. We don't care what it ha- we don't care what happens to the men, women and children who live in this area who are depending on these things in fact we're going to portray them as a blight because they're jeopardizing this fish. How dare they jeopardize this fish? Well, it's a complete upending of God's created order from the beginning to say we are going to put the creation in a position of dominion over man. Man was commanded to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And what the global communist push wants is just the opposite don't be fruitful. You're not allowed to grow fruit. We didn't give you permission to grow fruit. You get one kid, like China. You get one kid. And then decades go by and they find out they've got a crisis on their hands. But the communists here, They don't want to hear about how communism being tried in the USSR or China led not so much to equity and justice as to suffering. You're just going to make everybody miserable, and then we'll say that we're all equal, and then the very envious people who can't get a hold of their jealousy that other people have things that they don't have, their malice, their hatred for people who possess things that they don't possess, don't want to hear about human suffering because they're suffering in their sin, and they want everybody to be as miserable as they are. That's their idea of redistribution. Whether that takes breaking a few eggs to make an omelet, as they might say, whether that means that any means can be justified depending on the ends, at the end of the day, what it amounts to is man, in the absence of God, being... Conceited, being puffed up, thinking himself the closest thing to God, wanting to prove how good a job he can do at playing God, and then not doing a very good job, but then also not being willing to admit that he does a very poor job. He makes a very poor God. And so then you just get more and more insane schemes by communists here in the US and in other developed nations and around the world, more and more insane schemes which amount to, let's try it again, but on a larger scale. In the early 20th century, if you read Orlando Fiji's A People's Tragedy, or if you read Mao, the untold story about Mao Zedong and the rise of Chinese communism, if you read those kinds of books, you'll see tens of millions of the people of those countries being starved to death, not killed in wars first and foremost, Not rounded up and hold off to gulags and concentration camps. Yes, that stuff happened. But tens of millions of people being starved to death because the central planners wanted to play God and they were content at best for a whole lot of their own people to die. They were content for a whole lot of their people to die due to starvation because the alternative was that they would have to give up the power. And they didn't want to give up the power. They were drunk on it. And then so also, you get this collectivistic machine built up within a government, within a bureaucracy, you get a bureaucracy built and predicated on communism and socialism. And it will eat its own if any of them start getting second thoughts about, hey, what are we doing? And this did happen in Russia and China, where you had Russian and Chinese communists who have a change of heart at a certain point and realize, what are we doing? like this is awful. Maybe they get out of their office and they go out to the countryside and they see men, women, and children starving to death and living in awful conditions and they get a change of heart. But the apparatus of the state then identifies them as a threat. They cannot be change agents. Once they have implemented communism, they have a very, very hard time being agents of change to turn the ship around. And very often what happens is they get executed, their families get executed, they get carted off to a work camp or a concentration camp, or they get shot in the basement of the uh, (laughs) KGB offices or the KGB's headquarters or prison or what have you. They just disappear in the night and then nobody ever hears from them again. And then they're removed by uh, means of old-timey Photoshop from photos with the fearless leader, And then they're erased from the history books, except in countries like ours, in the the United States of America. We still have some record. If something got out, we still have it. And we're not doing the same thing, or we weren't, to the extent that Russia and China were. But then so also, beware of (laughs) relying over much on journalistic sources to tell you what is actually going on. It's like when you have, in my line of work, all these alarms and all this logic built up because you've got sensors out there and you think to yourself, oh, okay, we've got sensors and switches and devices that are all feeding into this logic controller. And as long as I see that these things are on and they're powered up and they seem to be reading right, we should be good, right? Well, not necessarily. You've got to test these things and you also need somebody reliable looking at What's going on in the program, looking under the hood, looking at the display? Are these things enabled? And also, does the logic work? And if the logic doesn't work or if it's been intentionally sabotaged, it really doesn't matter how good your instruments are. They are not going to alert the condition, which then activates a shutdown and sends you the warning, hey, this process is out of control. So also with our journalistic systems in the U.S. in particular or in your local area, like in my case, I'm reading articles from the Denver Post about water management. And I am great <laughs> I, I am gravely alarmed myself, I am greatly disturbed to see the casual way a reference is made to forty million Americans in these seven states may run out of food and water and electricity, but then let's change the subject back to social justice and Native American representation in water management decisions. Let's change the subject to climate science and climate change, and let's make this a global problem where it's convenient. And then let's talk with the people who are primarily bureaucratically responsible for making the changes and hear them throw up their hands and say, ah, man just wasn't meant to engineer nature. Again, this is a role reversal. We have inverted... What God told us to do. Instead of us exercising dominion over creation, we have global communists who want creation to be prioritized over man. They are not trying to save the planet for us and our posterity. They are trying to save the planet from us and our posterity. And they are, if they are communists, they are very, very much capable of making the same kinds of decisions, the same kinds of calculations the same kinds of concessions that communists in Russia and China did, particularly if they more or less openly uh, defend those characters and their program and what they were about, what they were doing. If the U.S. is seeming like we're on a trajectory for conflict with China, that does not prove that There is no communism here, or it's not a major threat, or it's not a major concern. It it doesn't prove that. We definitely had communists uh, in the 30s and 40s here, and in the 50s and 60s and 70s here. And even though officially the U.S. was at war with communists, let's say, in Vietnam, also, we were fighting with one hand tied behind our back. We were fighting half-heartedly and not with true resolve. We shouldn't have been fighting at all if we weren't going to fight to win. But <laughs> if you actually want to win, you need to sell it to the American people. And why was it that our government wasn't selling it to the American people? Because either A, our government really didn't want to win. They wanted to engage in a kind of play acting at winning and actually incur a defeat that would achieve a larger goal at a larger purpose. Or B, there was enough of a sentiment in the U.S. against fighting communism, particularly on the left, that our government was afraid to come right out and say, we are we are determined that the communists lose and we are going to fight them with everything we've got when we fight them. And when we aren't going to win, we're not going to fight them because we've got to conserve ammo and maintain economic strength. And that's what it should have been. But nevertheless, now we're on a trajectory Potentially have a World War III scenario with Russia and China over the Ukraine and Taiwan. And a lot of things, I think, are being smuggled in behind the scenes at a local level, at a national level, across the world that basically amount to controlling the food supply, controlling energy supply, controlling the money supply in such a way that will weed out those who are determined to be bad actors and contrary to the greater good. You know, repeat after me. Let's all say it in unison, the greater good. <laughs> yeah, you know, whoever <laughs> whoever is determined by the communists historically to be in opposition to the greater good needs to go. And so we should be very concerned if we look historically at what mechanisms are used to control populations Yes, control of the food supply is a way of controlling the population. Yes, control of energy supply is a way of controlling the population. Yes, control of the flow of information is a way of controlling the population. And when these things don't work, increasingly desperate, drastic measures are employed, including outright violence against those who are in the way of progress. The Great Leap Forward involved some passive and active means of destroying Chinese who were either A, not on board with communism or B, were on board but needed to take one for the team. And we do well to think of that long and hard here in the US as we see a very similar thing a century later being tried before our eyes. Do we have the eyes to see it? Do we have ears to hear it? Do we have the sense to recognize it for what it is? We need to. We need to. But I say that And the folks who say Jesus is coming back (laughs) anytime now, look at the signs that are being, uh, you know, fulfilled, the uh, prophecies that are given about the end times and what will happen in the end times. These things are being fulfilled right before our eyes. If they are, then that is well. We still need to know what we're about, though. We still need to come up with what we should be doing for the Lord's sake we still need to be looking for ways to edify and build up the church we still need to be figuring out ways to provide for the needs of our households all of those responsibilities of ours are no less just because you can say there's trouble coming in fact i would say those responsibilities that we have those calls to action that we have in the scriptures need to be informed by a recognition of the times that we live in whether Christ is coming back next week or next year, in seven years, what have you, any way you slice it, we look at what conditions are right now and we don't despair and we don't freak out and we don't curl up into the fetal position on the floor and do nothing and just wait until it's all over. No, we don't do that. That is not what we are called to. But so also, we have to be very, very careful to not engage these things in an arrogant way, in a conceited way, well, that is not helpful, actually. You have to not repay evil for evil. You're just going to get more evil that way. You have to not fight fire with fire in terms of, oh, they're being abusive. Well, we're going to be abusive. We got to keep our own people in line. They're being authoritarians. Well, we're going to be authoritarians, but we're going to do it even better. And we're, once we have the power, once we are the ones with... uh the control over the situation, then then it'll be good. No, no, it won't. Actually, <laughs> it actually it won't. And actually, you will play into their hands because I dare say, the godless uh, globalist communists are a great deal more savvy and sophisticated. You know, they have somebody with a lot of practice being devious, calling the shots and influencing and moving their pieces around on the chessboard. As I see it. And we, if we want to have a hope of winning and persevering and enduring and honoring the Lord, have to be listening to the Lord. However devious the devil is, however devious his uh, minions are, God is all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, totally good and righteous, totally faithful. So we have to be about our father's business and we have to look to God and be obedient to what he says, what he tells us to be about. You know, I think of an article that was just sent to me the other day speaking of uh you know, not being haughty and arrogant and abusive and repaying evil for evil. The you know, Billings Gazette in Montana did a piece about Jordan Hall and how he has been thoroughly disgraced. And yet his political machine in the state of Montana is still in place. And there is a distinctly authoritarian flavor to the political machine that Jordan Hall helped to construct, displacing Republicans that were deemed by his adherents to be soft, weak, effeminate, compromised. And insofar as the political machine Hall built in the state of Montana is now attached to him. Don't say I didn't warn you. Now I'm not saying I told you so, but don't say I didn't warn you. I wrote about this back in 2017 and in 2020, and I said this would happen and it did happen. I warned the Republicans in Richland County and in the state of Montana and around the U.S. I warned conservatives in Richland County and in the state of Montana and across the U.S. Do not connect yourself with him. He will not make you more effective. He will bring disgrace and dishonor to the causes that you are trying to champion. He will not champion them in the in the end. He will bring disgrace to you and to your house and to these causes. And that is exactly what has happened. And I am only glad in reading this that the author of the piece at the Billings Gazette was able to say, a lot of Montanan republicans, and conservatives and Christians recognized Hall for what he was for a long time and didn't buy into this. And they tried to sound the alarm and they were ignored because that little caveat there, that little footnote is probably the only thing standing between Republicans in the state of Montana and being completely thrown out in favor of Democrats again, even when the Democrats are doing such an abysmal job. How bad is it? If Republicans in the state of Montana lose to Democrats in the upcoming election, because however bad the Democrats were, the Republicans were even worse due to the likes of Jordan Hall. And I mean, look at some of the reports across the U.S. of Democrats buying major advertising for extreme and unhinged Republicans who are in the Republican primary. For various races. Democrats, like Democrat politicians are buying ads for Republican candidates in primaries. And why are they doing this? You know, it's, it's not the whole Mitt Romney thing. It's not the whole Liz Cheney thing where we've got somebody who runs as a Republican, but then they vote as a Democrat. They're always voting with the Democrats. They're always criticizing Republicans, but they never actually do anything conservative. It's not that kind of controlled opposition. It is the kind of controlled opposition which seeks to caricature Republicans and conservatives and Christians by elevating, amplifying the worst of us and then saying, see, that's what you're all like. Vote for me. I wouldn't even put it past Democrats to plant controlled opposition in a place like eastern Montana. I think they did this to some extent with Joel Crowder, who ran as a Republican and yet was going to vote as a Democrat. He was president of the College Democrats at Liberty University. I also wrote about that, and I warned about that when he was running for House District 35. He got in before Jordan Hall did. And part of how Jordan Hall got in was because Joel Crowder preceded him. You've got somebody in Joel Crowder, who was chairman of the College Democrats at Liberty University, running as a Republican because he can win that way. And that's useful if he votes with the Democrats, but he ran as a Republican. That's useful to Democrats. So also it's very useful to Democrats if you can have somebody pretend that they are the rootinest, tootinest Republican or conservative in the district, and they get in there and they completely disgrace themselves and they disgrace their causes by being ridiculous, by being arrogant and abusive. One wonders, actually, I wonder, for my part. And even if it wasn't something that was planted in the minds of Democrats or something that Democrats actively did, I do believe it is a scheme of the devil and the devil is smart enough to come up with that. If I'm smart enough to think that that (laughs) could have happened, the, the devil is definitely smart enough to have tried it. But then that is to say as well, we don't want to fall victim to the devil's schemes in any arena in any sphere in our homes in our churches in our communities in our places of business in our country we do not want to fall victim to the schemes of the devil and so then what do we do right what do we do what do we do if they are intentionally trying to constrict the food supply because the global communists want to starve to death men women and children us particularly if we refuse to be brought to heel to communism, to give up on God, to give up on our religion, to buy in totally to whatever their five-year plan holds for us. What are we supposed to do if they are going to try and arbitrarily, artificially reduce access to energy, whether we're talking fuel for our vehicles or electricity for our homes, natural gas for our homes? What are we going to do if they are artificially constricting our access to electricity and fuel? So as to control us, what are we going to do if they are intentionally trying to devalue our currency, drive up inflation, then drive up the cost of borrowing money and only give according to ESG scores, only give a limited amount of lending to people whose politics the left likes, people who are going to support the overall globalist communist agenda. What do we do? Well, my answer, in part, is we study very diligently Romans chapter 12. The whole chapter, starting from the top, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there you have it. And uh, some of you may be looking at that and you might be thinking, okay, I was hoping for practical solutions. <laughs> you were supposed to tell me where I can find my six months supply of emergency food And where I can get some inexpensive, uh, you know, rainwater storage barrels, and how I can keep the rainwater from going bad or turning or getting bacteria in it. What is this? Just hear me out. (laughs) Consider, first of all, what we should do and what we should make of the Christians in our midst who think that talking about practical needs is inherently unspiritual. In light of what Romans 12 has to say, we should gently, respectfully correct them. Because to concern ourselves with our physical needs is not an either or with being spiritually minded. According to Romans 12, what we do with our bodies matters to God. Otherwise, it would be odd that the first verse says we're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Paul doesn't say that's instead of or off to the side of your spiritual worship. He says that is your spiritual worship to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's point number one. Point number two, following the crowd stands here in direct contrast to transformative Renewal of our minds. So, our minds are very important. Those Christians who have this notion that we should be anti intellectual because to cultivate the intellect is somehow a distraction from being spiritual, being spiritually minded, need to also be gently, respectfully corrected because that is not correct. We must be transformed by the renewal of our minds. That by testing, we may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Discernment is a gift from God, and we need it very much. You don't need to just find somebody who has discernment and then let them do your thinking for you. You need to cultivate discernment by the renewal of your mind. As your mind is renewed and transformed, you will be able to test and discern what the will of God is and what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. If you're following the crowd, you are not doing this. Conform to this world. What do you think that means? It means you are just going with the flow and we're told to not do that. There are other things that provide a check against potentially claiming this as an excuse for being disgraceful, rambunctious, disreputable. And we'll get into those because it's all here, folks. (laughs) It's all here in Romans 12. But the big idea in this first couple of verses is that we must cultivate discernment in our own minds. We need discernment. We need to know what is good and acceptable and perfect according to God Get out of the central planning mindset where we delegate all of our critical thinking to someone else, to an expert who might be a blind guide or they might be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Verse three, I think, provides some of the check against potential abuses which someone might be tempted to commit or engage in or embrace, or accept, or affirm, based on those first two verses here. Developing discernment does not give you an excuse to be conceited. Paul says in verse 3 here, Everyone among you needs to think with sober judgment instead of thinking more highly of himself than he ought to. Which is to say, you can cultivate discernment and then get really puffed up. Sober judgment is contrasted with having a lofty opinion of ourselves. And yes, again, discernment is a spiritual gift, but it is not the only one God gives. And those who truly do have discernment know that. They don't argue with that. They don't arrogantly trumpet themselves, toot their own horn. They recognize this and they act accordingly. They treat others in the household of faith accordingly. Discernment is a spiritual gift. It is not the only one God gives. Genuine appreciation for the varied gifts God has given others is evidence of sober judgment, thinking with sober judgment. That is also evidence that you have been transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that you are testing and discerning what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So also, in verses 9 through 21, taking us down to the end of the chapter, we have a duty to love in an authentic rather than fake way. That means you do hate what is evil. You hate evil in all its forms. You abhor what is evil. Abhor is a really strong word for hate. You hate. You Utterly loathe and detest what is evil. And instead of indulging, accommodating, affirming, making allowances for, making excuses for evil, you hold fast to what is good. You hold fast to what is good. And you have to. You have to hold fast to what is good right now with what is going on. The Christians receiving this letter to the Romans from Paul 2,000 years ago. Roughly, they needed to hold fast to what was good. We need to hold fast to what is good. If we're conformed to this world, we won't. Even when we are transformed by the renewal of our minds, it is difficult and it's a challenge. Hold fast. So, also, where there is this temptation common to man to recognize that we have gained some kind of an insight or understanding or awareness, or knowledge, or wisdom, or discernment, and where we may be tempted to then say, ah, because I have this wisdom, this knowledge, this discernment, I am better than all the rest of you who I deem as not possessing wisdom and knowledge. There is an outlet for the competitive drive you feel, which is great news for men especially, Women tend to be more cooperative, more naturally cooperative. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's eh, not Maybelline, but maybe it's estrogen. Men have a tendency to be competitive. You want to be competitive? I got a competition for you. I, <laughs> Let's see who can outdo everyone else in showing honor. How's that? Let's see who can be the most honorable. See also what Paul writes in First Corinthians about spiritual gifts. If we are members of the body and we are not all the same part of the body, we must affirm that the other parts of the body are there for the edification of the whole, including but not limited to us, and we should honor those who have other gifts besides the gifts God has given us. If God has given us a gift of having some insight, some wisdom, some discernment, some knowledge, be patient with those who do not have that. Don't treat them abusively. Don't treat them with contempt. You do not have permission to be competitive in that way. That is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. That is not thinking with sober judgment. That is not presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship, holy and acceptable to God. So also, we are told here that fervency instead of laziness should mark our service to God. So Again, those who over-spiritualize things and call carnal or fleshly or earthly any attention paid to the needs of the body, the physical body, need to be gently, respectfully corrected. We are not to be slothful or lazy. We are called to fervency. And not just fervency in some Helter skelter, chaotic way, anything goes, pandemonium, euphoria, not some emotional high where we're led around by an ecstatic enthusiasm. No, again, think with sober judgment. Do not think more highly of yourself than you want. Our fervency should be marked by joyfulness. Yes, also patience and prayer and generosity and hospitality. If we are too spiritual, and by that I mean we think that there's this hard line of division between what is spiritual and what is physical, what will drive us to being generous? And what does that even mean? We're commanded to be generous. What does that mean? We're commanded to be hospitable. What does that mean? It's not either or. It's not either spiritual or physical. Love one another with brotherly affection. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Now, what kind of needs are those? Seek to show hospitality. What kind of hospitality is that? This is a very practical call to action. And yes, if we are, as I believe, and as the people I know and trust and respect, who have their heads on a swivel, believe, What this global communist push is represents a grave and imminent threat to our ability to provide for our families, our ability to congregate, to work, to get food, to get water perhaps even in some places, to get electricity or fuel for our vehicles, to have political representation, to be able to speak freely, if that is the case. Your spiritual act of worship, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, finds its expression in part by contributing to the needs of the saints, and that is practical needs of the saints, so that they also can present their bodies as a living sacrifice, which is their spiritual worship. Your hospitality to them may in some cases be that they become homeless and they need a place to land. Your hospitality at a minimum, will mean in a gathering of the church, in an assembly of believers, in Jesus' name. Be hospitable. Don't be rude. Don't be standoffish. Welcome. And they need to feel that welcome. You want to worship God? That's part of it on a very practical level. So also, our fervency is marked by a peaceability, even with our persecutors' And if with our persecutors, how much more so with our fellow Christians? Communists historically have violently persecuted Christians. They're content to starve us to death until they can bring us into subjection, where we become a threat to their narrative as we hold to a competing worldview, where their use of material goods withholding of material goods very often uses basic needs like food, water, shelter, energy as a lever of power to get compliance. What do we read here? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. You can't get any more diametrically opposed to the plan of communism than that. But by so doing something like that, you will set yourselves apart And you will overcome evil with good. That's what you should be thinking of when you think fervency. You have a fervent service to God, not lazy, which looks at practical needs, even practical needs of your enemies. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I've heard some say, this is not as violent as it looks. And I don't like that. I like it sounding rather violent. I'm imagining just dumping the whole brazier of burning coals on your enemy's head. Maybe that's wicked of me. It probably is wicked of me. That's how it comes across. I have heard it also explained that this could mean like when your neighbor's fire goes out and you bring a little bit of your fire to rekindle his. I don't know if that's the case. The guy who taught that to me, told me that. I didn't verify. I didn't fact check him, that pastor, Butch Hart. But also, he had been a pastor for a long time in Quaker churches. So there was a part of me that was like, "Mm, the Quaker thing, this could just be a pacifistic workaround for what otherwise seems like rather violent uh, (laughs) evidence against your overall pacifism. I don't know. I don't know. Any way you slice it, This is saying that feeding and giving drink to your enemy is how you overcome your enemy. Some people, as a small detour here, think that Sun Tzu's Art of War is a book about how to win wars, fight and win, how to start fights and win them because you're very clever with your tactics and strategy. Actually, The height of strategy is to win battles without fighting, according to Sun Tzu. So, yes, sometimes a fight can't be avoided. Like, for instance, in verse 18 here, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's not always possible to avoid a fight, particularly when you're dealing with global communists. Can I just say that? (laughs) They want to fight. It is not always possible to live peaceably with them. They hate you. They hate what you stand for. They hate what you represent. More to the point, they hate who you represent because they hate God, because they are of their father, the devil. Communism is a demonic, satanic worldview. Karl Marx, by the way, was fascinated by Satan. Go look it up. Don't take my word for it. I'm not going to make an even bigger detour. I gave you one for Sun Tzu. I got to space them out. Go look it up. Karl Marx was fascinated by Satan. Also, Saul Alinsky dedicated his Rules for Radicals about leftist activism, political activism, community organizing uh, handbook. He literally dedicated it to Lucifer, the first radical, as he calls him. It is not always possible to live peaceably with all, particularly characters like Karl Marx and Saul Alinsky and Mao Zedong and Joseph Stalin those men cannot be reasoned with and they cannot be made peace with. They will only accept total domination of everyone because their ambition is of a piece with what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven along with a third of the angels. But notice here, happiness is not found in repaying evil for evil. Let love be genuine. Yes, hate what is evil. Utterly loathe and detest what is evil. That is important. That is actually not an aside from letting love be genuine. That is actually central to love being genuine. You cannot love your neighbor and also want evil to take him and have its way with him and destroy him. Hold fast to what is good. You cannot give up. You cannot despair. You cannot cloak you're having given up with reminders that Jesus is coming back any time now what's the point of trying no hold fast to what is good do not grow weary in doing good love one another and that is a practical command outdo one another in showing honor that is speaking to for one thing i would say good manners that's not weakness and you're not showing how tough you are to be rude to your brother you're not impressing God, certainly. Be patient in tribulation. Tribulation is here, and more is on the way. Be patient. Patiently endure. Consider it pure joy, as James says, when you face trials of many kinds. Well, they're here, and more are on the way. (laughs) Be constant in prayer. And then so also, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, I'll tell you this. There were Several years, when my wife and I first got married, in which we depended on others to an unhealthy and far less than ideal extent, and some who were very well off in my family, rather than lifting a finger to relieve our burdens in the midst of a recession, piled on, and quite frankly, they did not associate with the lowly, as we're commanded to here. Haughtiness here is contrasted with associating with the lowly. That is to say, if you refuse to associate with the lowly, odds are high that you are haughty. And this is not haughty spelled H-O-T-T-I-E, by the way. <laughs> this is haughty, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Proverbs says that pride goes before destruction And a haughty look before a fall, which is to say, it'll be written on your face, like the tagline for lie to me. The truth is written on all our faces. A haughty look goes before I fall. Some of the funniest comedy to my mind is when somebody who takes themselves way too seriously has their nose up in the air. You probably think that you're cooler than me, kind of strutting going on, and then they trip over something that they couldn't see because their nose was so high up in the air they weren't looking where they were going it's very very funny when this happens to people who have a rather too high opinion of themselves though we should not rejoice in their downfall you have to work to not laugh so that you can go and help them up but as i say there were A number of very well-to-do members of my extended family who, when my wife and I were very much struggling to make ends meet, did not lift a finger to relieve our burdens, but rather piled on burdens by trying to talk my dad, for instance, out of providing assistance. There was a recession on. We didn't have vast stores of grain, so to speak, metaphorically, like they did. We were living hand to mouth and were requiring, requiring assistance, even as I worked full-time, even as I went to school full-time, and I'm trying to help in the church, they did not associate with the lowly. But I'll tell you this, if you've ever been in a situation like my wife and I were in our first five years of marriage, and then, by God's grace, that season passes, and you have all that you need, or even an abundance, and then you have an opportunity to help others, some other member of the family is struggling and you can lend a hand and you can be compassionate, you can be kind to them instead of being stern, instead of rubbing their face in their embarrassment or their lowly status. You can associate with them as a lowly person and lift them up. Few things have been more satisfying and therapeutic than that. And there too, I think that is overcoming evil with good. Let's not be bitter. Let's not try to get vengeance on those who criticized us or wounded us or neglected to do what we read here, contributing to the needs of the saints. He who does not provide for the needs of his own household is worse than an unbeliever. Or he who does not provide for the needs of his extended household even, his extended family even, is worse than an unbeliever, especially those of his own household But also more than just his own household, worse than an unbeliever, contribute to the needs of the saints. If the church wants to respond effectively to this push for global communism, a great place to start is by looking at ways to contribute to the needs of the saints who are in the crosshairs by virtue of trying to be obedient to the first part of this chapter, presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is their spiritual act of worship being transformed by the renewing of their minds in Christ Jesus, trying to cultivate and live according to discernment. Haughtiness is contrasted with associating with the lowly. If you're not willing to associate with the lowly, because what might it do to your reputation or your opinion of yourself, or you might have to give something up that you enjoy having? Odds are high. You have rather too high an opinion of yourself compared with what you ought to. The implied inverse is that haughtiness would be compared to hobnobbing with the wealthy and powerful. You want to go off to the party with the rich and the influential and the famous. You want to associate yourself with them. You don't want to associate with the lowly. You are self-impressed with your own wisdom and you're promoting yourself. You are disobeying God's word. Do nothing from selfish ambition and vain conceit, but in humility, Consider one another as more significant than yourself. Do not look only to your own needs, but also look to the needs of others. If we do this, we can defang and declaw those who want to destroy us. But if we defang them and declaw them in this way, we have overcome evil with good, and we've been obedient. Lastly, we are commanded here in Romans 12... To, yes, consider the optics. (laughs) I have a rather cynical view sometimes of what this can mean, in part because I have seen it so often take the form of what we were just talking about. People not wanting to associate with lowly, and that's how they're thinking of optics. They don't want the negative association. They don't want to hang out with poor losers, simple folk, uggos, you know, the, speaking of the difference between haughty and haughty, not H-O-T-T-I-E, ladies and gentlemen, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, although the two can overlap. A haughty can be haughty. Have you noticed some beautiful women, for instance, don't seem to keep friends around who are not also beautiful? What's up with that? Are they worried? Right? Are they feeling insecure that if they hanging out with a girl who's not as fashionably dressed, not as beautiful, not as wealthy, not as popular. it would drag them down and bring them down. Well, that's the kind of optics that we're not called to be preoccupied with. That is actually the kind of optics that would be conformity to the world. But if you allow your mind to be transformed and renewed, According to God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect according to God? Well, then, on the question of having optics and a concern for optics, you don't worry, first and foremost, about popularity, per se. Instead, your attention is on whether you're being honorable. That's a word we just don't use often enough. We just... We don't use language like honor and dignity enough. I think this is the other side of the coin to how you know one of the indictments of a people which is under judgment is that they do not know how to blush. You can't know how to blush. You can't have a sense of shame if you have no sense of honor. Or if you do have a sense of honor... What informs it? In part, we have to look to what God says is good, acceptable, and perfect. Interesting to note that good is not necessarily the same thing as perfect. Acceptable is not necessarily the same thing as good or perfect. Perfect is not necessarily what you are always going to get. And when you don't get perfect necessarily, you are distinguishing between what is good and what is best, or between what is good and what is better, recognizing that it is not all or nothing. So also, you have to reckon with the problem of fallible creatures. Sometimes those fallible creatures are of their father, the devil. Sometimes they are part of a larger program, and when they tell you what they are doing, you should listen. You may not necessarily know what to make when they're behaving oddly, and they don't say anything about it, but when they happen to be telling you what they are doing, and also they tell you what they're very much against, what they hate, what they despise, what they dislike, what they are campaigning against, what they're willing to do in pursuit of their objectives, and when they are not of God and their program and their plans are not of God, it can get complicated in a hurry. So one question we should ask ourselves here, going back to how this relates to uh, combating a move to global communism and all sorts of persecution, which are possible if indeed our food supply, our energy supply The money supply is being manipulated here to that end, it can be difficult because what you don't want to do is you don't want to slander someone just because they are not of your persuasion. And yet there's a check against possibly doing that in this passage. Let's suppose for the sake of argument, you're pretty sure they're an enemy. They're certainly not a friend and they're certainly not a fellow Christian, but you don't know how malicious they might be Or how much they may be willing to do to you. Worst case scenario, they want to kill the body. Your body. There's nothing more they can do to you. Don't fear them. Also, this says never avenge yourselves. If you're not even supposed to avenge yourself when they have actually already done wrong to you. Done evil to you. And it is objectively evil what they've done to you. If this says never avenge yourselves retroactively then does that not speak to what you are allowed to do on the front end, at least in some regard? Leave it to the wrath of God, at least in some measure. If you want to be blameless in this generation, think with sober judgment, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to God, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you, by testing, may discern what the will of God is. What he says is good, what he says is acceptable, what he says is perfect. If we are not careful, we play right into the schemes of the devil because someone was able to appeal to our pride and able to flatter us and able to manipulate us. Also, too, if we become puffed up and conceited and arrogant, we may be authoritarians with one another And that is not what we were called to. We're called to humility. We are called to contribute to the needs of the saints. That is not the same thing as bossing the saints around and bullying them, because by golly, we're going to get everybody mobilized to do what we think needs to be done here. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's a holistic prescription. Seek to show hospitality. That's a holistic prescription. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, it is not the same thing as cursing to accurately describe evil actions. How else are you supposed to abhor what is evil? How else are you supposed to refrain from being conformed to the pattern of this world if you don't identify and if you don't call out what is evil as opposed to what is good, what is unacceptable as opposed to what is acceptable? or tolerable if you don't know what evil is how are you going to overcome evil with good you won't be able to you you can't you have to be able to make a value judgment it just so happens in making that value judgment you will find out who your enemies are and you will find out who wants to persecute you but listen to this rejoice with those who rejoice even in the midst of things being rough and more is on its way, if someone has a celebration for what, according to God, is good, acceptable, perfect, join them in celebrating. That's how community is built. That's how relationships are built. If someone is weeping at a loss, at a loss of that which God says is good and acceptable and perfect, weep with them. Cry with them. Don't rebuke them for crying for being sad, for grieving. Also, don't rebuke them for rejoicing. This says live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty. Those two go together, living in harmony and not being haughty. These things go together with not being wise in your own sight. These things go together with not looking for ways to settle the score. Now, if you can do justice, that's a different thing than vengeance. Retributive justice, if it's in your purview to deliver it because you have authority, again, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, and do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Don't avenge yourself. Do build up the church. Abhor what is evil, but don't get so sucked into abhorring what is evil that you're no longer able to hold fast to what is good. You don't even recognize what is good anymore. That's not discernment. That is not discernment. Discernment means you are able to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. If everything is evil just because some things are objectively, undeniably evil, you are not being discerning. You have not been transformed by the renewal of your mind so much as you need to be. And you won't be able to contribute to the needs of the saints. Nor will you be hospitable. Nor will you be patient in tribulation. Do not overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Look to God to tell you what that means and what that looks like in your particular circumstance. But what you need to not do is tune into my podcast, for instance, for example, or anyone else's, and then expect me to be your discernment. Now, I want to be a good example. I want to be contributing to the needs of the saints hereby. I want to be hospitable. Welcome to my podcast. By the way, if I didn't say it, Already, but you need to, by the mercy of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual worship. You shouldn't just vicariously worship through me any more than you should let me be your discernment. Now, if I can contribute to the needs of the saints by being discerning, by being wise, not wise in my own eyes, but contributing whatever wisdom the good Lord has given me as I have prayed and asked for it, studied and applied myself to get knowledge and understanding, good, that's well. Let it serve not just as a stand-in for you doing that, but as an example, by God's grace. We do that, and regardless whether the commies (laughs) take over the whole planet and starve us all to death, fear God, we will come through on the other side, dressed in white. And that is well that should be well with our souls. That's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. Plenty more to say. By God's grace, we will say more. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. been listening to the garrett ashley mullet show on anchor fm for more content like what you just heard subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts google podcasts or spotify also check out the garrett ashley mullet show.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published as always you can reach me with any comments questions complaints objections or insights at garrett ashley mullet at protonmail.com